Hello everybody, uh, I'm Kiora. Welcome to the Austroats webinar. In today's session, uh, we will talk about the changes to the National Heavy Vehicle Driver Competency Framework. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Senior Communications Officer at Austroats and I will be moderating today's session. We have almost 300 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. I would like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Austroads is based in Sydney and so today I'm on the land of the Garigal people of the Euro Nation. I pay my respects to all this past, present and emerging and to their deep and ongoing connection to the land. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Um, today's session will run for about 60 minutes, um, with around 40 minutes for presentation and question breaks throughout the session. The slides that we are using today can be downloaded from the handout section um, of your sidebar, which you can uh, find on the right-hand side of your screen. To send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon on your sidebar. Um, if you have any technical problems, let us know. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. Um, so closing your browser and rejoining again using your email registration usually helps. Um, this session has been recorded and we will let you know when uh, the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, um, you can find Austroads in your podcast app. Our presenters today are Paul Davis, Austroads General Manager Programs. Uh, Paul will talk about the changes in detail and we will have a few breaks during the session to answer your questions. And those breaks will be moderated by Judy Oswin um, from Judy Oswin Consulting. Um, Judy has helped us um, develop and refine uh, the framework. Uh, welcome Paul and Judy and over to you Paul. Thank you, Ekaterina, and welcome everybody to our session on the National Heavy Vehicle Driver Competency Framework. Just as a, a by way of an overview, I'm going to cover a few things today, and there'll be an opportunity, as Ekaterina suggested, to ask questions uh, towards the end of the presentation. But what I'll, I'll cover to, to begin with is the context and the rationale for change, the changes that have been proposed in the consultation RIS and that have been progressed to the decision RIS, as well as training provider governance and next steps. Now, before I move on from this slide, I might just uh, stress that I'll frame a few things around uh, these terms, consultation RIS and decision RIS. That's a consultation regulation impact statement and a decision regulation impact statement. These are pretty standard ways of progressing national reform. And really a consultation RIS is designed to allow options for reform to be clearly outlined, analysed and consulted on uh, in, uh, in preparation for developing a decision RIS, which helps uh, Australia's transport ministers make a decision on exactly what will go forward. So I won't go too much into the bureaucratic way we do it, but we are framing it that way because there's some nice lines in the sand on how uh, each of these options have been developed. We can move on, thanks, Ekaterina. 
So firstly, uh, I'll cover context and rationale for change. And this is really about why we got started on this particular project. So uh, it, it's very, uh, very important given our growing freight task, our changing vehicle fleet and our high dependency on road transport in Australia that we have well-trained and capable heavy vehicle drivers. And that starts with effective licensing. The main rationale behind the work we're doing is to improve driver safety and job readiness. But we're also very mindful of the fact that uh, driver shortages are a real issue affecting the industry. And while licensing is, a, is one, only one lever that we can pull uh, to help solve that issue, it's, one, it's an issue that we didn't want to exacerbate and if possible through licensing to improve as well. But as I say, the main drivers are safety and driver job readiness. The National Heavy Vehicle Driver Competency Framework has been in place since 2011, but it's only been adopted in four states and territories so far. And there are a number of reasons for that, including different sorts of delivery models for training and assessment in each of the states, and essentially an acceptance uh, that they are a reasonable model at the moment. So we've only got four states and territories who are adopting uh, the National Heavy Vehicle Driver Competency Framework. But increasingly, industry feedback, emerging research and evidence point to opportunities to improve the safety and driver training experience and job readiness through improved competencies and assessment and improved licensing uh, policy. So at Australia's Transport Minister's request, Austroads undertook an extensive project to review and improve the National Heavy Vehicle Driver Competency Framework. Next slide, please. Now, in terms of industry feedback, I'm speaking about industry in a very broad range here. So this is industry peak bodies, heavy vehicle operators, regular, regulators, unions, driver trainers, insurers, a whole range of people who are affected by driver licensing. And uh, some of the things that came through from our industry consultation was that increasing behind the wheel time is a good way to build driver skill. And as well as that, supervised driving increases driver confidence and reduces their crash risks. There were concerns over the current tenure model, and that is the licensing progression model that relies on uh, spent holding a license at one class for 12 months before being eligible to progress to the higher class of license. Uh, that doesn't build experience. And there's a concern that drivers who hold a multi-combination license are not fully competent to manage the largest multi-combination vehicles. And I'm mindful, as I say that, that the first multi-combination vehicles appeared in Australia in the 1980s. Uh, B-doubles that were 19 metres, which is the standard length of the semi-trailer today. So the vehicle fleet has changed a lot. There was also some concern with some very short courses available from a, a large number of driver trainers and the capacity to properly skill up a driver in such a course. Next slide, please, Ekaterina. Further, the review considered views of academics, coroners and, and heavy vehicle crash data, including Commonwealth data and insurers data, and these reiterated the need for better driver skills. And some of the areas that were highlighted were driver skills in securing loads, in coupling and uncoupling trailers, reversing and steep hill descents. And again, uh, a need to strengthen competency-based training and assessment. Further, uh, next slide please, Katarina. Further research by MUARC has shown that driver inexperience or a driver history of uh, significant uh, vehicle offences was a strong predictor of crash risk. So these were other areas. So uh, risk factors including driving offences, prior crash history and limited driver experience and training in light vehicles as well. Next slide please. 
Uh, research has also showed that training programs which address the motivational and psychological aspects of driving performance can be effective in delivering safety benefits. So it's not just the technical competence of being a driver, but the attitude and the response that you take to the road when you're driving. Hazard perception awareness training and testing can deliver improved safety outcomes and supervision programs such as mentoring and accompanied driving uh, can deliver improved safety outcomes as well. So in response to all of that research feedback and the risks identified, uh, Austroads has developed a, a range of options uh, in con consultation with the stakeholders and put those together in a formal way in the consultation RIS, which we released in August 2022. Uh, we put that out for consultation for several weeks and we reviewed the, the responses. We had over 250 responses, so it was a, and, and quite a broad range of stakeholders who responded to that. So we felt like we had a good sense of, uh, of consideration of the options that were put forward. And uh, that was used to develop a decision risk. And last month, uh, Australia's transport ministers agreed a way forward based on that decision risk. And I'll outline where we're going from here. So I'll step through the options that were canvassed in that consultation risk. So the things that have been published so far, as well as what's been progressed to the decision risk and what's going on from there. There are four key areas uh, that have been considered in the review of the National Heavy Vehicle Driver Competency Framework. And the first is managing individual driver risk. And I'll break these down in a bit more detail as we move through. The second is strengthening the skill and knowledge development of drivers. The third, embedding behind the wheel experience. And the fourth, introducing experience-based license progression options. Now, rather than keep everyone in suspense, if you've read the consultation res, I'll just quickly touch on what's progressing and what's not, and we'll break these down in a lot more detail as we go. So a requirement to have a full unrestricted car license before being eligible for a medium rigid license is not progressing any further. Uh, the ineligibility for those with a license suspension or disqualification in the past two years is uh, progressing further, and there's some more work to be done on that, which I'll touch on later on. Uh, new multi-combination license classes that were proposed in the consultation risk is not progressing any further. Expedited license progression options based on experience are progressing further, as well as the requirement to have a heavy combination license before a multi-combination license. Strengthened driver training and assessment standards will also progress, but post-license supervised driving will not progress. And finally, standardised uh, standardised national training and assessment framework will progress. So I'll step into each of these in a bit more detail. First, and this is the first key area, managing individual driver risk. So some of the things proposed in the consultation risk included, as I mentioned, an unrestricted or open license for being eligible to proceed to a medium rigid license, as well as a low risk driving history, which means no suspensions or cancellations in the past two years uh, for driving. I might move along, thanks, Katerina. Now, in terms of stakeholder feedback through the consultation RIS, um, there was certainly uh, a lot of support for um, both of these areas, recognising the increased crash risk, but there was uh, also a lot of concern, particularly around the unrestricted uh, C-class licence being a uh, prerequisite for entry. Now, most didn't support this 
primarily around concerns on the negative impact of young people entering the industry. Uh, with, it, with respect to those with a recent high-risk driving history, uh, being ineligible for gaining or upgrading a licence, that, that was supported by a majority of respondents, uh, though there are some concerns around the impacts it could have on driver supply. Now, both options were presented in the decision res, um, and it was agreed that the unrestricted C-Class licence uh, proposal wouldn't proceed, but that Austroads would explore options with industry for a young driver pilot project to help minimise the risks of younger drivers uh, entering the industry with limited experience. Uh, based on stakeholder feedback, uh, we'll be refining the proposal on high-risk driving history, uh, and that is specifically so that it covers licence disqualification or suspension in the preceding two years from either first gaining a heavy vehicle licence or upgrading to a higher class. Now, this, is, this essentially doesn't preclude you from driving if you've had a licence suspension and once your licence is returned, you can drive again at that class of licence, but it would preclude you from uh, upgrading your licence for the next two years. Now, further investigation is required uh, for this one before proceeding to implementation, but it is progressing at this point and it's really important that we ensure that that's both fair and practical to implement. In terms of strengthening skill and knowledge development, there were several elements contained in the consultation res. One of those was creating three multi-combination licence subclasses, reflecting the very broad uh, coverage of the current multi-combination licence everywhere from B-doubles to the largest vehicles that operate in Australia. Second, requiring a heavy combination licence as a prerequisite for a multi-combination licence. And third, strengthening training and assessment standards and this includes post-licence supervision. So greater detail about elements that must be covered, online training for knowledge-based learning, hazard perception testing, minimum training periods, and a specific module that's focused on attitude and approach to the driving task. There were quite a few stakeholders who supported the MC class split. I think the, um, the logic of it resonated well, but there were some concerns around the uh, practicality of it. And that included things like the costs of having different combination vehicles available for training and assessment, as well as the uh, capacity to access training for MC2 and MC3 classes, which would represent the largest vehicles, given the road network limitations for these vehicles. There are many parts of Australia, for example, where a quad vehicle can be driven and then the high implementation costs for a relatively small number of license holders who would actually drive those very large combination vehicles. Uh, so taking into account the stakeholder feedback that we received, this proposal is not going to progress. Next, uh, requiring a heavy combination licence before a multi-combination licence. Uh, many juros do allow a heavy rigid to multi-combination uh, progression but it, with increasingly large complex combinations in that multi-combination category, there's a view that experience at the semi-trailer or, or heavy combination um, level is required uh, sooner. And you can see on the chart here, uh, the difference between a heavy rigid and even the most simple and shortest multi-combination is quite substantial in terms of mass and length and, and multiple articulations. So uh, these are uh, considerably more complex vehicles to drive 
and therefore the proposal is that uh, experience is gained at the heavy combination first. Uh, there was good support for this item, noting that uh, heavy combination uh, opportunities may be somewhat limited in some areas, particularly in rural and regional areas, where uh, multi-combinations will be the, the vehicle of choice, the combination of choice. So the proposal is progressing, and I will touch on this again um, with the progression options, that there are ways to manage uh, drivers who won't have ready access to heavy combinations uh, to gain experience in. Post-licence supervised driving. Now this is uh, something that many operators provide to their drivers uh, to support those newer drivers gain their confidence. Uh, but there's a recognition that there's some practical considerations about including that in a licensing framework. So while it's certainly great practice for an operator to continue to provide that supervision, it's something that uh, has been recognised with, uh, is probably best left as an industry training uh, initiative. In terms of bringing it into the licensing framework, administrative complexity uh, of managing such a proposal is, has been cited. Uh, there were certainly people who thought it was best left to employers rather than regulators. And for smaller and medium-sized businesses, that would be more difficult uh, to, to be able to incorporate into their, their driver um, induction programs. So taking into account that feedback, this proposal wasn't progressed. Now, in terms of strengthening training and assessment standards, rather than the current 15 uh, broad competency elements, the the project has identified over 180 quite fine-grained competency elements that should be covered in driver training. And a recognition that uh, a certain amount of time driving and in and around the vehicles is very important, but also recognising that core knowledge can be delivered online as a way of making it more flexible and cost-effective for delivery. Hazard perception uh, testing specific to heavy vehicle driving is also recognised as something that could improve driver safety and it's also being considered. And alongside that training uh, module on an attitude and approach to the driving task, now there's still some work to be done on the mechanism for delivery of that, uh, whether it be group work or online, but it's a recognition that it's more than technical uh, competency that's required to be a safe heavy vehicle driver. Finally, minimum training and assessment times. Uh, so there are currently no mandated minimum training and assessment times for driver training. Uh, this has led to some quite short courses and commercial pressures inevitably will drive that. But the level of competence development would be pretty questionable. Uh, proposed minimums uh, have, been, have been provided of 16 to 24 hours for rigid, combination, uh, for rigid licenses and for combination licenses, 20 to 28 hours. And that doesn't remove the um, commercial imperative uh, or commercial pressures, I should say, to, to reduce training, but by setting a minimum standard, it should help improve that capacity to deliver the competency elements that we're seeking. In terms of stakeholder feedback, Majority of stakeholders who are very much in support of these proposals, they recognise that uh, industry is providing a lot of driver training uh, at present that uh, they'd like to see occurring prior to licensing. There were some concerns expressed and that included the importance of ensuring that training and assessment was competency-based, not simply hours-based. And again, minimum hours shouldn't be seen as a ceiling, but seen as genuinely a basis from which to start to achieve competency.
uh, and also the training methods need to be practical and adaptable to meet the needs of the learners. So this package of proposed changes is included in the decision res and uh, has, has received approval from ministers to proceed to implementation planning. In terms of embedding behind the wheel experience, as I mentioned, this is something raised in, in data and by industry that behind the wheel time is really critically important. So minimum behind the wheel time was considered uh, for both pre and post licensing, as I mentioned, uh, post license supervised driving wouldn't be proceeding uh, further, but the minimum behind the wheel time proposed of six to eight hours as part of training for rigid and for eight to 10 hours as part of training for heavy combination and multi-combination licences. In terms of the stakeholder feedback, most stakeholders supported mandated minimum behind the wheel experience as part of training. Uh, there were some concerns that, uh, again, hours shouldn't be the driver, but competency-based approach is needed, and some individuals may need more than the minimums uh, that are specified there. But nonetheless, the uh, minimum behind the wheel time uh, part of training was included in the decision res and will proceed to implementation planning. Experience-based progression pathways. Uh, this is one of the next key areas. Now, currently, heavy vehicle drivers can proceed to the next class of licence or are eligible to proceed for the next class of licence once they've completed 12 months of one uh, class of licence. And we've provided that as an option going forward in the consultation res. Now, while it's not preferred because it's not experience-based, it does provide some options for those with limited opportunity to build their driving hours on the lower classes. This is essentially the current, current uh, path forward and we're suggesting that it be preserved. Further though, recognising driver experience, um, we've got two driver experience pathways that we've proposed. The first is purely based on experience and that recognises that rather than waiting 12 months with no guarantee of how many hours of driving you've done, after a certain amount of experience can be demonstrated, you'd be eligible to move ahead uh, for the next class of heavy vehicle driver license. And that would essentially be available to anyone who's a heavy vehicle driver who could demonstrate that experience. Uh, the, the more advanced one, again, supervised driving is a program uh, that does involve some additional cost and would probably be taken up most likely by industry players who currently have a supervision-based arrangement such as a mentoring program. But for that to be recognised in the licensing regime as offering a very high benefit in improving driver confidence and reducing crash risks. Now I should stress that um, each of those paths forward um, is not to be done in isolation. You don't need to progress from your medium rigid all the way to the multi-combination picking one up front. These are three eligibility pathways and at each point uh, one or another might be most suitable. So to give a bit of a sense of those experience-based progression pathways, if we look on the far right of this table, a driving experience pathway to go from a rigid to a combination or a rigid to a, a heavy rigid would be evidence of 600 hours of driving in the relevant class over a period of 26 weeks or six months. And under a supervision program pathway, there'd be fewer, fewer hours again, a 420 hours of work experience with some six by two hour blocks or, or equivalent of supervision, including behind the wheel driving over a minimum period of just 12 weeks. Similarly for heavy combinations to multiple com multi-combinations, 700 hours of driving in the heavy combination class vehicles over a minimum of six months, or under a supervision program pathway, 
560 hours of work experience with eight by two hour blocks or equivalent of supervision and over a period of 16 weeks. So you can see particularly under the supervision program pathway, but even under the driving experience pathway, the options to progress through the licensed classes are substantially faster. I'll show that in this slide here. On the top, we've got the base case, the current pathway. And you can see if you have a medium rigid license, say in year zero, it will take you two years to get through to the multi-combination license. And in some cases, if you have a heavy rigid license, you can get to a multi-combination license after 12 months. In terms of what's been proposed, the tenure pathway without skipping the heavy combination license will take you through from a, multi, from a medium rigid to a multi-combination in the same two year period, uh, but it would take a little longer under the heavy rigid period. But for those who are actually driving on the regular, the driving experience pathway will have you from a medium or heavy rigid vehicle all the way through to a multi-combination as little as a year. And for those able to participate in the super, supervision program pathway, that, that speed could be as little as six months. So uh, a substantial improvement in the time it takes from first getting a heavy vehicle driver's license to being able to drive the most complex vehicles or being licensed to at least to drive the most complex vehicles is quite substantial and will, we think will help um, expedite people coming into the industry either as young drivers starting their career or as people making a career change. In terms of stakeholder feedback, uh, was, this was supported by the majority of stakeholders. There was some concern about the rigidity of progressing through the classes, uh, limiting productivity, uh, where this should be competence-based with no minimum periods on the lower class required, and tenure should not be an option. So um, there was a, certainly a view there that tenure should be removed. And as I mentioned, there's, uh, if you don't have access to a heavy vehicle, uh, the tenure option really will be the only way you'd be able to progress, which is why it's been re retained. So those progression options were included in the decision risk and they'll be appro they're approved to proceed to implementation planning. Now, as I mentioned, the primary purpose of what we're doing through the review of the heavy vehicle driver competency framework is to improve safety and driver job, driver job readiness. Um, we have considered though the impact of the proposals on driver availability. And look, it's a complicated space. There are currently around three times as many heavy vehicle license holders as there are vehicles and there's overall low employment. So it's not simply a licensing matter. And I think that's been acknowledged broadly as a broader economic issue. But we'll, what we wanted to do through the review of the framework was to, if possible, help improve the situation and certainly not exacerbate the shortage of drivers. And so, as I mentioned just before, for most drivers, there will be pathways to progress considerably more quickly than they currently can. So to summarise the proposed licensing policy changes, the focus has been on addressing risks identified in the current system, which is minimising the entry and progression of the higher risk drivers who pose the greatest future crash risk, more comprehensive competencies and assessment, which means more job ready drivers, minimum training program lengths, minimising shortcuts based on commercial pressures, and an increased focus on experience and progressively building competence as the basis for progression rather than simply holding a license for 12 months. I'll touch now also on training provider governance and uh, how it'll affect driver trainers. 
So jurisdictions currently determine whether to insource or outsource assessment under what circumstances, and they manage outsource providers. Most, but not all, training programs are under the VET sector and uh, RTI arrangements and training material and program is developed by each outsource provider. Course lengths are subject to commercial pressures and this is a predictable outcome of any commercially competitive environment and there are some unusually short programs on offer as a result. In terms of the proposed approach to governance, jurisdictions would continue to determine whether they would prefer to offer an insourced or outsourced assessment model and manage local providers, but based on nationally developed standards such as eligibility, driver qualifications and audit tools. The approach of using VET sector and RTO status is still to be fully assessed. There are pros and cons and pros such as it's quite typical to require RTO status that provides some level of governance oversight of trainers but it is a hurdle for entry for trainers and there are costs of maintaining RTO status. And uh, minimum course length as previously outlined will help address those unusually short courses. We'd expect the governance framework broadly to include things like approval of trainers, standards for delivery and reporting, trainer skills and ongoing professional development and auditing tools and auditor skills and ongoing professional development. In terms of the proposed approach, um, st training standard online content to be delivered nationally for consistency and efficiency with uh, a national training and assessment package developed by Austroads uh, matching detailed competencies to be developed and maintained uh, centrally. That would include on online delivery of foundational knowledge and essentially the um, eligibility to proceed to face-to-face -face training, training and assessment guides for trainers covering classroom and around the vehicle and behind the wheel training and capacity for uh, details and, and adaptation for local requirements as well. Stakeholder feedback was very positive on this. There was almost universal support for this approach. Uh, some of the uh, concerns expressed included making sure that trainers could still tailor material and approach to meet the needs of individuals, which we're very mindful of doing. Some people simply need a different approach to training to be able to get the best value out of it but this will proceed to implementation planning. I've said quite a, a lot. There's an opportunity here for questions. So I might ask Judy if there's any particular themes that are coming through. I will stress if we don't answer your question here today, we will do it outside of the session. We'll try and answer those that are being asked by most people. Thanks, Paul. There's been a question just clarifying around the tenure progression option and a question about whether there would be any requirement for behind the wheel driving if you took the tenure option. In terms of eligibility to progress, no, it would reflect the current status, but the training and assessment would have minimum behind the wheel requirements. So unlike current arrangements where you could spend very little time behind the wheel of a vehicle before being eligible to progress to the next level, uh, you would have at least advanced or improved training and assessment requirements uh, prior to moving ahead. So even though there's no requirement uh, in terms of driving experience uh, post-licensing, the licensing itself, the assessment for that itself will be better than what we currently have. Thanks, Paul. There was a question about um, whether there's been a definition of a young driver in the young driver pilot. 
I might throw that one straight back to you, Judy. I don't know if there has been. Uh, my only, my uh, distinction that I've raised here is that they are fully licensed or unconditionally licensed, which means they're past their probationary status, which I presume is the limit we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, look, it, it is a good question and one that we're keen to explore um, with, with industry. We know that there are some programs that some of the industry associations are working on, but we're certainly keen to um, potentially um, look at um, a couple of different cohorts. Um, so um, no, there is no definition at the moment. Um, we know that young drivers up to the age of 25 have a higher um, crash risk. So we certainly wouldn't be extending beyond that, but we may perhaps focus more on the younger group, something to work through with industry um, as we plan. Um, Paul, there's a question around the eligibility um, criteria. Um, and a comment that, um, you know, if you've done the crime and you've done the time, doesn't this seem to be a second penalty? Uh, well, what, what we're talking about here, and I think I, I made the point earlier, is not an, uh, an ineligibility ever to proceed. Um, what it is, is a recognition of the risk that a driver who has had a recent um, high order driving offence um, potentially has and uh, what it means is it would take two years before they would be eligible to uh, enhance their uh, license class. So if you hold a heavy combination license today and you have your license suspended, uh, when it's returned, you'll drive a heavy combination again, you'll be eligible to drive a heavy combination again. It just means that there'll be a time before you'd be eligible to sit for a multi-combination license. Um, um. Question just about um, industry's opportunity to input to the draft competencies and assessment times and the minimum times. We've made a real point, uh, Judy, as you well know, um, to consult closely with industry as we've gone through with this and we will continue to do so. Um, it's really important for us to get this right. Um, it's, a, it's a big and important project and a big and important reform. And for that to be done well, we need to understand industry's needs, drivers' needs, and yes, we'll continue to work closely with industry on all aspects. Thanks. Question about um, what will happen if people aren't able to access online technology or have other issues with online learning? Yeah, it's a good, good question. And we recognise for many people, online learning is going to be a more convenient way to do it, but it can't be the only way it's done. Uh, it will provide a, a limitation for some people who will have, have difficulty accessing online learning. So alternatives will need to be part of what we develop. So hopefully for the majority, online will work well and be a, a flexible and cost-effective way to go forward, but there'll be options for others who can't do it that way. Um, there's a question about whether or not the competency and assessment training um, and related um, assessment needs to happen under the BET framework. As I mentioned, there's pros and cons on that, and and I think they'll uh, there's that's still some work to be to be done to work through on that. Uh, but regardless of whether it's done under the VET or RTO framework or not, um, similar requirements exist, and that is eligibility of people to be trainers, uh, capacity of of the trainers, and ongoing professional development in that space. So the VET framework is a good one in the sense that it's ready made, if I could put it that way, to provide some of that governance support. Uh, or even much of it, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's the only way it can be done. So I think there's a bit more work to be done still, Judy, in that space um, to determine what exactly is the best uh, share of, of the model. Thanks. Um, 
Um, that's probably covered off a fair number of the questions, Paul. I'll um, let you keep going and I'll pick up any others that I haven't um, in the next session. Thanks. Thanks, Judy. So next steps, uh, we've, we've got a decision from Australia's Transport Ministers to move forward to implementation planning and, and I'll outline a bit of what that looks like at the moment. So firstly, it's important to recognise that while Austroads is uh, playing an important role in this project, there is work to be done both by Austroads and by each jurisdiction who is a driver licensing authority. So I'll start off with what the Austroads work uh, is looking at doing here. So we're currently building a project team to lead the development of national policy, which includes promoting harmonised implementation, minimising rework and centrally doing things where we can do it for most efficient and consistent implementation. It's a really substantive program of work uh, and really important program of work. It's likely to take, we've got two years on the slide here, but we do have more detailed planning to be done. I'll stress that's pretty preliminary as a, as a timeframe. Uh, it's a big reform, it's an important reform, and it's gonna take time to do it well. So formal governance and decision-making bodies also will be established. And uh, as I mentioned before, this isn't something we're doing in isolation. We'll be talking with stakeholders as we go. Jurisdictional implementation, uh, there will be specific needs for each jurisdiction as well. The jurisdictions are the licensing authorities and that's not going away. So they have a responsibility um, as, as the licensing authority. Uh, they're, they're, they'll have to manage some challenges, of course, and uh, with multiple jurisdictions, those challenges will come in different flavours for each one. But managing funding, prioritisation in, in amongst competing priorities, Scheduling of some of the system work and the legislative program lead times and approvals will be challenges and part of the implementation planning, a big part of the implementation planning will be uh, for each jurisdiction to make that plan for itself. In terms of stakeholder engagement, it's critical uh, through this work program and supporting implementation and we're working on development of an engagement strategy right now uh, to ensure that we continue to uh, engage across those most directly affected. Uh, we've, it will include a range of mechanisms and methods, uh, periodic information updates, webinars like this one, testing of ideas and working together to jointly develop implementation options that are practical and workable for all concerned. Uh, options for formal industry engagement are yet to be considered and I, I invite any industry on the line at the moment to, um, to put forward any thoughts they particularly have in that space, how they'd like to engage, but it's very much uh, our intent uh, to continue to engage closely so that it's practical and workable. And uh, on that note, uh, I do note there are some industry on the line. I can, I can see uh, people there and I'll thank uh, those who have contributed to getting to this point through the consultation risk feedback uh, and as well all of our members who have worked very hard in coming together with an agreed suite of options. It's not easy to get to deliver national reform. This isn't going to be easy, but the, uh, the effort and um, uh, collegiate approach that everyone's taken has been uh, very important and that continued involvement and approach will help us get success out of the reform that we're looking for. Uh, there's more information on the Austroads website, including some uh, short videos and fact sheets and things like that. Have a specific driver at austroads.com.au email if you'd like to email directly for this, and you can sign up for the mailing list as well on that slide there.
Thank you. There's an, a, a final opportunity for any further questions, Judy. Do we have any more? Um, there's a little bit of interest in a supervision program and uh, what that might involve and also how um, standards might be maintained um, if that's delivered through different employers. Standards of supervision, do you mean? Yes, the standard of the supervision program. Sure. Uh, well, there's a fair bit of work still to be done in this space and it's one that we would like to work with uh, industry quite closely with. Judy, I'll get you to, to embellish what I say a bit more here, but uh, I know there are some successful mentoring programs around and it's really about having a regulatory recognition of what's good practice in the industry now. Yeah. Um, and certainly um, our thinking around this at this stage is the very first thing we will do when looking at implementing this is to go out and talk to industry about what they're currently doing, understanding um, what kind of records you might keep, what your um, supervision programs look like, how you tailor them to individuals and how you assess what it is that the individual actually needs assistance with. So um, industry are really the experts in this area at this point, so that will be where we'll be starting. Um, look, there are a number of other questions, Paul, but I think we'll leave those for responding to post the webinar. Um, um, so that's it from me, thanks. Thank you, Judy. Thanks, Ekaterina, I'll hand back to you. Thank you, Paul and uh, Judy, and thanks everyone for your attention and uh, the questions that you sent through. Um, just a couple of slides before we finish the session. As you can see on this screen, uh, we have a number of webinars um, coming in the next uh, few months. So if you haven't uh, registered yet, uh, visit our website for more information um, and register for the sessions that you would like to attend. Um, and if you would like to receive updates from Austroads, uh, use the link provided on the slide uh, to subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Um, after we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes uh, to send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have uh, for our future webinars. Um, once again, today's session is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording uh, once it's published on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day.